Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with a global multi-stakeholder community representing national and local governments, international policymakers, civil society, NGOs, the ICT industry, as well as other relevant organizations and institutes. Hello there, I'm your host, Fritz Busselmaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Nicholas Diaz. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yes. Now, currently, Nicholas is uh, living and working in Germany, although has lived in Denmark before, but originally he's from Argentina. Uh, he's doing his postdoctorate uh, fellow uh, at the University of Duisenberg Essen in the areas of privacy and cybersecurity, with a main research focus on human-computer interaction with special attention to privacy decision-making process. He also attended both summits uh, at The Hague, so really thank you uh, for that. And again, welcome uh, in the program, uh, Nicholas. Pleasure. Now, let's first focus on your research in cybersecurity. What's the, the topic you are working on? So I started my PhD in 2015 uh, after working in the industry as a software developer. And uh, I started um, doing my research in the direction of uh, privacy decision making, uh, basically uh, in the area of uh, self-disclosure in social network sites. So basically I was starting to uh, think about why do people share so much private information on, uh, on social media, which are the, the main factors either from a psychological point of view and either from the more technical point of view. And uh, at that point in time, um, the landscape of privacy technologies were turning into that direction. And uh, actually the research in terms of privacy was turning into that direction. But if we think about privacy uh, as it was conceived and, and investigated, for example, like 25 years ago, it was mostly focused on problems related to control and security. Um, so I always put uh, a movie uh, from uh, Sandra Bullock uh, from 1995, where some hackers tried to sue her identity yeah. um, as an example on how the, the, the constellation was at that point. And I always, uh, I always make the, um, make the, the, my point that at that point in time, if you wanted to find out where someone lived, uh, if you wanted to find out details about their personal life, uh, you needed to be an expert, you needed to be a hacker. But that after social networks were introduced, you don't have to be an expert because basically these are spaces where we put our, make our private life public and accessible to a wide and diverse audiences. So I saw that the, this change of paradigm was mostly a problem for, for, for regular, uh, for regular uh, users and regular people. And as I, up to which extent people is uh, knowledgeable about the risks that are taken when they share to such a large extent, their private data and, the, and aspects of their private life uh, online. Um, and therefore I started to think, okay, what can we do from a technological point of view uh, to help uh, privacy decision-making in, in a networked online environment? Okay, uh, now you said that a lot, people share a lot of information online, uh, that's true. Uh, but do you have, a, is there a reason? Have you identified a reason why people do that? So there are uh, there are many uh, theories and uh, and reasons uh, also grounded on the psychological um, um, let's say uh, um, 
point of view. Um, on the one hand, for example, you have people with high levels of narcissism. They are they have a clear tendency to uh, to become more um, uh, more more public on 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 social networks, and also people, uh, for example, with high levels of impression management. Um, but what I found uh, for me, like the one of the the, the most um, how can I say um, clear um, reasons was that people have very low awareness about the risks of this, these practices. And on the other hand, uh, I find out, okay, where can I find information about what could possibly go wrong when my data goes online and it's shared through a, such a broad um, uh, platform. And then I find out, okay, there's nothing that gives me the sense that something wrong can happen here. I mean, platforms are very, um, I mean, they present themselves as very safe places, uh, as places where people can uh, connect with other people, where they can just uh, have a great time. And, uh, and this actually, instead of like um, preventing information disclosure, is encouraging information disclosure. Come on, share your data, connect with your friends, uh, do you post some pictures and so on. And, uh, but if you want to, for example, have an impression of what could, what could go wrong, not only in terms of data leakage, which is more related to what could possibly happen uh, on the server side of the platform, but how the dynamics of this platform could operate against you, there's nothing mentioned. You will never find that something like, oh, don't share your personal, your personal, uh, your phone number on the platform because then people might contact you massively and you will be stalked or whatever. Don't share, uh, for example, financial information. And we see that people systematically uh, end up sharing this type of sensitive data online. So I said, okay, we have to put more stress on how to communicate this type of risk, but from a very user-centered uh, point of view. Okay, are these examples of digital nudging you just mentioned, uh, also by just omitting uh, the risks, so it, sounds, it looks safe enough? So basically, um, uh, that's a very good question, and uh, and actually, my I put a lot of uh, of effort on the uh, elaboration of, of nudges. So basically, nudges or uh, yeah, or choice architectures are um, are basically changes that we introduce in the context where decisions are made, um, mm -hmm. actually with the purpose of maximizing the welfare of the end of the end user. Um, in the case of nudges for cybersecurity, um, there is, for example, the most typical one that you that that you could find is the password meter. So basically you introduce a password, for example, when you want to register on a web page and, uh, and the password meter will tell you how uh, the strength of the password in terms of security, if it's secure enough or not. So basically displaying that type, uh, that kind of information actually help you, uh, help the, should help the user to make a better decision deciding for a more stronger password. And in the case of um, information disclosure on, um, on social networks, the principle could be applied in the in the same way so the okay. idea would be the idea would be to incorporate um some kind of some kind of system that whenever persons people is actually um uh, about to make a decision related to privacy would communicate the risks that are relevant for that decision uh, and actually this is something that it's very uh, much clear from um even if you analyze it from a consumer point of view, how can you make uh, uh, the best possible decision when you don't have the right information? Okay. And uh, I mean, 
in our daily offline, uh, in, in our daily life, every time that we make a decision, the risk factor is it's there and it's very it's very strong. Whether we whether we buy a product or whether we hire a service, knowing the risk can help us to reflect not only on the consequences but actually can make us uh, um, help on uh, on better decisions. Okay, so uh, coming back to your uh, password example, uh, I regularly also have to create a password given a couple of constraints, but it only gives me the constraints without telling me what the risks are if I don't make use of those constraints. And that's actually your point, add that as well. So you explain to people why we're doing this. Exactly. So the uh, the password meter that's a limitation of not only of the password meter, but for many uh, many uh, I would say uh, nudging uh, strategies. Uh, of course, trying to promote uh, the uh, a better behavior should be uh, you know should come along with an, a detailed information of what does this uh, decision entails. And uh, I think that since the risk factor is quite determinant here it's better to provide that information and, and at the right point in time. Okay. Now, in your opinion, what's the biggest threat for accountability in a digital age today? Oh, so uh, I think that uh, in, in terms of accountability, um, there's a big problem uh, among developers. I think that um, developers see accountability as something that it's so far away from their and from their daily from their daily life and they struggle to understand when and up to which extent their actions are accountable and how to demonstrate that they're actually compliant with what uh, what legal provisions are, are establishing. That's on the one on the one hand. I also think that the uh, the amount of uh, how can I say, um, the power of big tech companies that they self-regulate um, mm -hmm. very often, uh, it's also a threat for accountability. I think that there should be a way uh, for harnessing uh, these provisions that actually are on behalf or try to safeguard people's security and, and privacy rights. Yeah. And then if you then go back to those big companies, obviously they, they're building technology. So coming back to your point you just made, uh, the developers working there should or could be held accountable to actually deliver technology which meets uh, the standards we as a society uh, demand. Exactly. Um, the, and the, the problem is that uh, this this is an issue that touches points related to ethics and to ethical uh, behavior, or I would say best practices. Um, I think that the key word for me, and, and mean also being a former developer, would be technical responsibility. I think we have to increase the sense of technical responsibility among the developer community so they can understand that their decisions, although they seem quite trivial because work it's repetitive over and over uh, it might have a high impact in on society not only an in individual level but also on a collective level okay yeah. and, and and in your opinion uh, who uh, who could enforce that uh, that we get developers to act in that particular way I think it should be like a joint effort. Uh, on the one hand, uh, me, if I look back and how my training as a, as, a, as a software engineer and as a computer scientist was uh, some years ago, around 10, I would say, um, uh, I think uh, although 
they were trying to put some stress on ethical uh, problems and uh, this technical responsibility. I think the landscape of the technology itself was not so broad as it is now. Now we have social networks, now we have Bitcoin, now we have all of these technologies that, that are promised on the one hand to bring a society to a more, um, um, how can I say, prosper future. But on the other hand, we see that many things can go wrong if decisions are not in the right way. And uh, so I think that education is fundamental. It should be like a cornerstone of uh, any developers or any developer or uh, an engineer. And, uh, and on the other hand, of course, you have uh, law enforcement and you should have, uh, of course, the right legal framework for, for it. We have it, I mean, there, were, there have been lots of efforts. Now we have the new draft for AI, uh, trustworthy AI. Um, but uh, still, mapping these provisions that are on a very legal term and bring it closer to the not only the language that developers speak, but also uh, closer to the, uh, the reality that developers have to face uh, every day. I think that's the challenge. And there we have to to create the synergy between academia, between legal experts, between policymakers, yeah. Uh, now, I think, uh, yeah, I definitely see that. And um, in your opinion, where, where are we today uh, with uh, the whole issue, this whole issue of unaccountability? Uh, so it's, um, it, for me, um, as I mentioned before, um, we have on the one hand, we have the developers that have yeah. to uh, materialize this uh, this uh, this provisions and makes make accountable software or the uh, solutions, and and on the other hand, uh, we have the end users that are lacking of um, how can I say re the adequate means for making uh, adequate decisions and uh, or mm -hmm. privacy related decisions on 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 the on the internet. I think. It, this is where we stand and we should elaborate, especially on the human factor of technology, because what I think is that normally we see technology that it's something that just comes up and it's there and should be therefore harnessed, but actually technology has a process. Technology should embed features that would help meet requirements of people and also for, uh, from developers as well. So I think that we should watch the, the whole pipeline and not the, the last part of the pipeline. Great point. So, um, so where specific digital platforms are mostly designed to provide privacy information disclosure, how can we balance that? What can we do to counter that uh, movement? Yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, platforms, the, uh, I would say the, um, the economic model behind uh, not only social networks, but uh, pla big platforms in general, it's, it's through data and targeted advertisement as well. Um, I think that, as I say, we also already have done some work in regarding consumer law, as I said in the past. Okay. So I always compare this with the with the information on cigarette packages. Yep. So the this health warning label saying smoking can give you cancer, this was not the default. So the, the, cigarettes were coming in like a normal packaging without any kind of warning, and the warnings were introduced after a very hectic debate. Actually, I think it's in around the 60s in the United States. But was the, was the argument from the tobacco companies. They were saying, oh, consumers are aware about the risk. We should not include that. And in the end, 
it was demonstrated that no people did are were not aware about the risk and they should deserve this kind of this kind of information i think it's the same debate we should have it for the platforms i think that this is something that should be a, a, a corner point uh, a cornerstone on the on the discussion of accountability okay well um that's actually quite a bold statement when you start to compare surfing the internet with smoking <laughs> yeah but at the end of the day, yeah, I understand definitely. where you're coming from. Uh, and uh, so we have to make these risks as explicit uh, for the consumer so that they know what they're getting into. Yeah, definitely. At least make them more visible and, uh, and, and approachable for, uh, for people. I mean, th this is not something that I, that I say. It's also in the GDPR. The GDPR is quite risk-oriented if you, if, you, if you look at it. And it's one of the main challenges that that software companies are are having at, at this point: how to conduct uh, a data privacy uh, impact assessment or a risk assessment of the technologies that they are developing. It's not an easy task in terms of development, but on the other hand, in terms of risk communication, we should it should not be impossible. It should okay. be doable. Yeah. For me, it sounds like very simple. We just add a small warning to everything we do. Uh, but how do we get there? Because somehow I feel that that's not going not to be easy. Yeah, exactly. So actually, it's not in the, of course, on the surface, it looks quite trivial. Okay, let's fill the platform with the, I don't know, uh, icons and the risk information all over. Uh, this should not all also be the, be the case. It's, uh, it should, there should be some balance between the, uh, um, the, between the, the, this type of information and the, and the type of decisions that people make. Um, they should also be, uh, decisions should not be harnessed. So people should also have the, the freedom of make uh, whatever decisions they want. If they want to share their whole life, if they want to share a copy yeah. of their medical record, okay go ahead but please be aware of what can go wrong okay but you're um, not prohibiting people you're just giving them a warning i mean hey exactly do that at your own risk yeah definitely definitely that that should that should be the message but of course um there is uh, a lot of uh, resistance from uh, from tech companies to do so because that's actually would redirect the uh, the flow of information disclosure i mean it will actually prevent it to be such so massive um, so I think that this that I am just defining on in very simple words, I think the uh, policy uh, the policy community should embrace it more. Uh, they should realize that okay, we are the technology is like this, but we should think out of the box. What if we add this? What if we change this? I mean, this should be it should be possible to introduce changes. Technologies are changing constantly. The problem is that they're changing in the way uh, tech companies uh, want, to, want them to change. But I think it's time that we say, okay, we want them to change on behalf of, uh, of people's privacy and security rights on behalf of data protection. So that small warning could be a way to nudge all the platforms to move in a more responsible direction as well. Exactly. I mean, but they're not. No one tells them to do so, or there's nothing that that that, that obliges them to comply with this type of, uh, yeah. of this type of warnings. I yeah. mean, it's only it's only on the uh, on academic papers, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think that this is an this is an idea that should be definitely embraced. Got it. So, in your mind, who should be at the table to make that happen? 
I think everyone should be at the table. I think that. Uh, that can you uh, can you be a little bit more specific what you mean by? Yeah, everyone? yeah, definitely. Poli policy makers definitely because yeah. they are the ones who have the the, the knowledge for uh, shaping the the corresponding provisions, legal provisions. Um, academia should also be there so they can pro provide new and fresh ideas on the on on, on the table, and. Of course, we need tech companies to uh, to also open their mind and uh, acknowledge that this is a problem, and uh, that this, in one point, at this point in time, this is a problem that could be defined as minor, at least from their point of view. Mm -hmm. But this can easily scale. We have seen that, uh, especially with uh, uh, with problems uh, regarding. Uh, fake news and uh, everything that we have seen massive leakage of personal information and so on it's all interconnected it's everything interconnected so if we want to create um, a more secure uh, virtual uh, space then we should we should collaborate all of us great now, that's a great objective now um, how can the institute for accountability and digital help here uh, help here well, I think it's uh, based on my on my experience during uh, 2018 and 2019. I think it's already uh, bridging the gap in a quite significant way because I have seen a plurality of voices uh, in the in the in both um, symposiums, and uh, and I think bringing people with ideas that are not that are out of the box. I think these ideas should be there should be discussed should be elaborated i mean from my point of view and from my i i, I was um i think in in 2018 i was about to finish my my phd and the feedback that i got from the from the community there was really uh, really valuable and i was able to introduce it on my in, in my thesis so i really think it's working it's already a, a good starting point i think we should go a little bit more more massive yeah no, that's definitely our objective to be a catalyst for that discussion, which is still needed on accountability, given the world is moving to this whole digital uh, environment. So, uh, yeah, there's still a role for us to play. And uh, yeah, thank you for confirming that, but also uh, glad that it helped also with your, your research. Um, now, before we go, uh, uh, Nicholas, um, Given um, your research on uh, nudging cybersecurity, what's the takeaway you'd like to give to the audience to think about? So I actually I, I found a text that uh, it was given to me when I was uh, when I was in high school. Ah. Uh, it's actually it's actually the preface from uh, Fahrenheit 451. It was written 75 years ago, but I think it's um, it's still relevant. Okay, it says, I'm curious um, now. Yeah. It basically says the machines themselves are empty gloves into which a hand, either cold and excessively bony or warm, full-fledged and gentle can be inserted. The hand is always the hand of a man and the hand of a man can be good or evil, while the gloves themselves remain amoral. So I think this resumes pretty much the problems that we see at the moment. And, uh, and actually, if you think about it, Fahrenheit was a dystopian novel uh, written 75 years ago. And uh, over the last years, we have seen some of these dystopian aspects coming, uh, coming into reality, and which is quite scare scary, such as massive surveillance. So I think that 
this should help us to reflect in the into how uh, or what a better future should be in terms of accountability, data protection, and privacy rights. Okay. Hey, that's a great quote. We'll make sure that we put in a, a link to where people can find the book. And uh, yeah, this is a book which demonstrates, again, accountability is about people at the end of the day. We cannot blame the technology, and we have to get uh, the people to do the right thing. So, uh, Nicholas, very much I'd like to thank you for sharing your insights, your research on how we can nudge people in the right direction and uh, wish you luck with the rest of your research and thank you for contribution thank you very much uh, and uh, i am here in any case someone wants to catch up uh, you have my my contact details and uh, hopefully we'll see us in the future again will do thank you very much